The Turn Cloak, A Dance with Dragons. I'm one of your hosts, Chloe. You can find me on the internet as Lies and Arbor on Twitter, Tumblr, and liesandarborgold.com is my blog. Oh, and I'm Eliana, another one of your hosts. You might know me as Glass Table Girl on the A Song of Ice and Fire subreddit, or maybe on the Maester Monthly podcast. But you also might know me as Arithmetric on Twitter, where I'm having like an emotional breakdown. Oh my god. Why are you having an emotional breakdown, Eliana? Well, the Asaga Madness by Davos Fingers has started taking its toll. Oh my god, yes. <sighs> We've had a very oh rough week. If you guys are not on Twitter, you should be. Uh, Twitter is unfortunately where we spend a lot of our free time, which is very little free <laughs> it's time. It's not even our free time. We're just there and I'm like, mm, I should be working. Yeah, I don't remember what it is, but my partner the other day said something along the lines of like, like, oh, yeah, I understand because you're used to being online instead of in real life. And I'm like, wait a oh my second. God. What does that mean? Either that or work. I'm always just those two places. You know, I'm at work a lot. Uh, <laughs> this week has been crazy. Davos Fingers does a March Madness bracket every year. They're a great podcast. You can find them on Podbean. Mm-hmm. It's scaddy, S-C-A-D-D-Y dot podbean.com uh they're on a bunch of other networks or on itunes or on everything just look up davos fingers good buddies of ours they They do a march madness bracket it's called a song of madness yes it's truly madness and what they do is they pit um various a song of ice and fire characters against one another and they run twitter polls and the people must vote on a character now there is no criteria for voting, all right? It's whatever <laughs> you want it to be. You just pick something and it's whatever maybe your heart tells you. User B-Word on uh, Twitter, <laughs> who who also does a bunch of those fun A Song of Ice and Fire riddles, has been using the criteria of who she thinks would be the best kisser. And I don't know, I just... Joe Buckley, one of our good buddies over at Isle of Faces, he has been doing who would be better at building Ikea furniture with you. And that is outrageous. That was, I I don't remember which one I read today, but I burst oh out laughing. Like coffee out of my nose, just like straight up. Was laughing. it the core and half hand and torment one? I feel yeah, like they were it was good. the core and half hand and torment one. <laughs> Uh, but it, there's, this is gonna, they're doing a longer bracket this year, it sounds like. And I want them to do a loser's bracket because we've had some pretty crazy upsets in the first yep. week alone. We did have some really good wins, but just like in A Song by Some Fire, the big wins are followed by... What is it followed by, Eliana? Is it followed by... Betrayal. 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 <laughs> Belwas, Azor High, the prince that was promised, ornament salt and smoke under a bleeding star, lost to Jojen. Yep, he was knocked out uh, in the first round. There were there were points in time where Belwas was ahead, but it was a tough battle. You know, just as in the books, Belwas deserved better. Belwas did deserve better. He did. One that was a big upset to some, not to either of us. Our political allegiance lies very obviously. Uh, was with Nimble Dick, Nimble Dick Crab, who won against Braun, and this is. A, a song of madness historical moment, you guys. Almost, this is last year's historical moment was when Sansa beat Stannis, which is coming again, uh, and it's going to happen again. 
Oh, it's, it's in the it's in the bracket already. It's set up. Well, it's gonna happen because if you look at it's it's Sansa versus Maya Stone. Sansa either loses to Maya Stone or wins, and then Stannis is going to take on either Robert or Melisandre. So the way it's diverging means they, there's another lemon poppy matchup coming up pretty soon. Wait, which pretty Robert? Soon. Baratheon. Baratheon. That's yeah. fascinating. I mean, that would be the first time in his life he might overshadow his brother. You know. Yeah, Stannis might overshadow his brother. For, I don't think it's going to happen, but he might. I don't know. I don't know. It, People it's are basic. a song of madness. Anything could happen, apparently. There's been some crazy as Quaithe beat Joffrey, and it's like, yeah, I hate Joffrey too, but come on, he's not, you know, an astral projection or some shit. I don't know what she is. No one knows. We'll never know. Is she Melora? Is she Ashara? Is she Lamore? Is she Malaria? We don't know. But Nimble Dick won the first round. That's what I know. And, you know, maybe he'll to win the more. second one, then the third one, and the one after that. Like, we... You know, I've heard that if he takes it to the top, Radio Westeros is doing a special episode with surprise guests. Solely about Nimble Dick. Nimble Dick. Crab. Yeah, Nimble Dick Crab. The man, the legend, the myth. Yeah, and, of course, the bracket. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. The crabs, they were kings once, you know? They were kings. They were well, I guess we'll have to see what happens there. If you guys vote Girls Gone Cannon, you'll vote Nimble Dick straight to the top. Ride that baby up to the top. Yep, ride that dick. Ride that dick to the top. So Girls let me just leave our podcast on ex- explicit. Like, every single episode, parental advisory. <sighs> Your parents probably don't want to listen to this. They'd be bored shitless. They'd be like, what are, they, what are these girls talking about? We did get an email from a friend, a buddy named Sam who has been loving the Theon and Reek episodes so much. Theon's one of their favorite point of views because of the darkness and for good archers and fantasy. And they wanted to comment on some parallels we drew with Theon missing his fingers and Jon with his injured hand. They thought of Davos because both Davos and Theon feel the absence of their digits and both men lost them as punishments. And how both guys internalize the justice done to them for their crimes. Ramsay's pure evil and takes it way farther than Stannis. And that both Theon and Davos have fingers removed by their current leaders and end up following them while fighting identity issues, right? Like Theon with his stark Greyjoy reek problem, Davos with his low-born, up-jumped Hand of the King dynamic. Yes, we talked about this actually a little bit in episode 41, reek 2 and 3, during that passage about reek's seven leftover fingers. Reek knew the cost. Seven, he thought. Seven fingers. A man can make do with seven fingers. Seven is a sacred number. He remembered how much it had hurt when Lord Ramsay had commanded Skinner to lay his ring finger bare. And there's definitely a passage off the top of my head. I can't remember it word for word, vernacular. But Davos thinks, of course, of when Stannis had chopped those fingers off in the pain at some point. And, of course, we talked about Lady Donella being... You know, the next parallel for Reek there of being forced mm-hmm. to eat her own fingers in a tower. But Davos has such great parallels here, especially with the Seven and with regarding Stannis as his god in a way. And how Reek is forced to worship Ramsay as his god, whether he wants to or not, for survival. Yeah. And finally, going to end on a slightly positive note, but also maybe with promises for future content. No, it was user... Pabagada, three e 
537H on Podbean commented, Just listened! Love your cast! Just wanted to say that Chloe, your Dagmer voice, reminds me of a Hallmark Christmas movie, Christmas at Cartwright's, where Alicia Witt is pretending to be Santa. Your Dagmer voice sounds like her Santa voice. And okay, so emojis. I love the Santa emoji that came with this comment. That was probably my favorite part. I was like, ah, look at him. <laughs> and, <laughs> but also I tried, I went on YouTube after we got this comment and I tried to like find the clip. I like went for like basic terms, like Alicia Witt, Santa voice, Alicia Witt, Santa Cartwrights, Alicia Witt, Cartwrights, you know, I did all the whatever and it didn't happen, didn't work. And then I found the movie. And so like, I was slowly like scrolling through with it on like low quality so I could like see scenes and see if I could find the scene where she's pretending to be Santa and I couldn't find it and then I gave up so I haven't seen it yet Eliana and I have plans though yeah we're hoping you know maybe we can get together and we'll watch this Hallmark video movie yeah. together if we can find it um sounds like you found Probably it get drunk. so we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out you know it's not Why that not? I wouldn't watch a Hallmark movie like trust me Lifetime movies Hallmark movies Sure. I would. I will emotionally commit, but I, I just don't have the time to emotionally commit right now, you know? So, some other time. I don't know if this is like, yeah, this sounds like a Christmas movie, and it's not the season. Like, I'm not going to act like I didn't watch, what, Christmas Prince. And I didn't watch Christmas Prince 2 yet, but I watched the other one where the girl's, like, into baking, right? Oh. And then the other one where she's into photography. I watched both of these, these ho- this holiday season. Um, These are Netflix movies, but they're in many ways similar to the Hallmark Christmas movie model. So... Yeah, and I mean, sometimes you just need something to do. So we'll get there. Someday we will come back to this and we will discuss you and your comment. <laughs> yeah, that's our that's our next series, you know? Yeah. No, it's not. Well, it's not. No, it's not. Wait, what? Are you are you insinuating that there's another series, Eliana? I don't know. That don't know. sounds pretty ser- serious, you know? To that's take a little serious. That <laughs> yes. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if... Uh, And of course, these are the Reek chapters and they are very difficult and sensitive. So if you do not want to listen to subject matter pertaining to assault or abuse, sexual assault, abuse, emotional, um, feel free to turn off the episode now and we'll see you another time. Yeah, go back to like Sansa Chu in A Game of Thrones. Yes. Happier-ish time. So, jumping into what we missed in our lightning round, you guys. In The Watcher, the Dornish entertains Sir Balin Swan and cover up Ariane's tracks at Queenmaking. Doran makes plans for the Sand Snakes and Ariane, sending Marcella to the capital with Nemeria. John 8. John fears for the Wildlings making their way to Hardhome. Tyrion 9. The Selasori Koran crashes, with Tyrion and other survivors hanging on for 19 days of life. A ship comes to save them, but it's a slaving barge. And that, of course, brings us to the Turncloak. The North has claimed three frays, and Stannis' march is being delayed by weather. Just like Philadelphia, by two hours, when it snows. Is it still, like, snowing there? Like, it's starting to become springtime here. No, it was very spring today. Last week, it kind of snowed, and, like, literally schools were delayed for two hours. But snow is coming down on Winterfell, and Roose Bolton is giving yet another one of his charismatic speeches to his men. He 
uses the old gods in this speech to rally the northern men behind him against Stannis, saying that they won't suffer the heretic. And I think it's just kind of fascinating how Roos seems like he's actually very religious and superstitious and how here he's invoking those old gods and getting the Northmen on their side and using the old gods as a form of legitimacy for them against Stannis. When it seems to me like the old gods, like, for example, Bran Stark and friends are actually not supporting the Bolton regime, you know, them kind of being the old gods now, and might be more, like, inclined to support Stannis, or there's something going on there. We're going to get that get there later on. Yeah, and religion and politics in general play this very heavy role in George's writing, and this is very Roos the politician. It reminds me of people in modern-day politics, everyday politics that we experience, how they evoke mm-hmm. religion, look at, like, Planned Parenthood and defunding it and, you know, just all of this autonomy being taken away from people and women. And that's kind of, you know, that same idea of like all these big speeches for politicians where, you know, they're using religion to get something done. Yeah, it's a sort of power. The room roars with approval and Theon notes that the room may look burnt, but they do have enough shelter, firewood and food to last them half a year. And I mean, Stannis can't say that, which true, Stannis cannot say that. (laughs) The Freys and Theon don't join, though, with the roaring approval. They are strangers here as well, he thought, watching Aenys Frey and his half-brother, Sir Hostine. Born and bred in the Riverlands, the Freys had never seen a snow like this. The North has already claimed three of their blood, Theon thought, recalling the men Ramsay had searched for fruitlessly lost between White Harbor and Barrowton. Anies. <laughs> the best pronunciation. Yeah, I I think I ran a poll once, right? I was like, how do you pronounce this name? Yeah, you did. I chose anus. Just want to make sure you I mean, know. Just yeah. for fun. For funsies. Yeah, for funsies, you know. Anus I was like, fray. <laughs> anus. You do want to say like a fray, though. It's kind of like anus. This yeah. one's one of them. Stout man. Well, I mean, if we had done that, you know, everything might have turned out differently. Think about it. Think about it. Stout Manderly and Umber are all eating and chatting, and they're getting ready for this battle whenever the fuck it happens. And Theon's waiting for his porridge, but because you know he is the Turncloak, nobody gives him any extra honey or milk to sweeten his porridge as they have given the other knights. His reign as Prince of Winterfell had been a brief one. He had played his part in the Mummer's show, giving the feigned Arya to be wed, and now he was of no further use to Roos Bolton. And men in line in front of him are discussing how it's like their first winter, and they're just like, oh, like, wow, snow. Yeah, they're all talking about, like, when they were kids, the the last winter they remember. I mean, a lot of these guys, and we'll get to this passage in a bit, are... You know, younger, they're late teens and their 20s, they're young men. You know, this is their first time of tasting glory for Winterfell. Uh, this is what's left as well. The seasoned warriors and everyone else left in the last couple of years to go with Rob and didn't come back. So this is their first taste of battle and glory of anyone that's left. Uh, everyone else is kind of also craven. You look at like Karstark and some of the people that are there. 
Most of these men haven't seen a winter in at least nine years if they have seen a crazy winter. The last winter was right before Robert's Rebellion. The tourney of Harrenhal was the false spring. It was called the false spring because it snowed on the last day, full stop for a fortnight, returning full swing after that. And then it was summer by the time Daenerys was born in 284. Ten years before that, Tyrion was born in the middle of like an awful, cruel winter. So, you know, like to sum it up, it's like Buffalo, New York, you know, lake effect. (laughs) Yeah, the lake effect. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're very much the that idea of like these are those summer soldiers i think catlin thinks of how a lot of these kinds of men are just like not ready for war and they're definitely not ready for war in winter right no i'm not ready for war and i'm not ready for war in winter like 10 times worse than that like that's yeah i'm not even ready for winter once a year yeah like let's start there i'm not ready for winter either and i don't think it even happened this year it, like, it did. I mean, I felt like it did. And that was enough for me, you know? <laughs> I couldn't do what these people are doing. But at the same time, you know, Theon's like, we're fucked. Yeah. He's thinking back to the previous night when he couldn't sleep. And he had been thinking of escaping, as he does, for obvious reasons. He knew, though, that he would get caught. And even if he did escape, he's like, I have nowhere to go. Winterfell is the closest thing that had been home to him. Like, his... Family on the Iron Islands probably doesn't want him back at the moment. And he thinks, a ruined man, a ruined castle. This is my place. It's crazy to peek at these lines in A Dance with Dragons, because some of these lines are straight up Sansa quotes from Feast and Storm, but in Theon's chapters and in his worldview. You get that line in A Storm of Swords. All color had fled the world outside. It was a place of whites and blacks and grays. White towers and white snows and white statues, black shadows and black trees, the dark gray sky above. A pure world, Sansa thought. I do not belong here. George does this great job, especially with weather and writing out this prose and setting the scene and just world building of what all these buildings look like and towers when they're covered in snow. It's just a really beautiful and sad bit of passages and chapters, all of Theon, it's uh, it's very laden with those images. Yeah, he's doing a great job of, you know, that showing and not telling. Mm-hmm. And we see a lot of those echoes of what of how Snow acts in the storylines of these captives of Theon and Sansa in these chapters. And for both of them, you know, they're seeing Snow as this idea of like innocence, but also purity but hiding ugliness underneath and this idea of like maliciousness it's both of those opposing ideas at once and we're gonna go into more depth on that later on in this episode first we're gonna snap back to theon waiting for porridge and ramsey enters the room and he's like shouting for the singers to play for him i'm here entertain me and they play a fun little cover (laughs) of the dornishman's wife they remixed it and now it's the northman's wife Theon always has this element of music that Sansa's chapters also have. By day and night, they they all wished for silence, right? And Abel, of course, is the singer figure that's rescuing Theon and Arya that Sansa never had. There's also the obvious nods to fake songs and fake people with Abel being a play on Bale the Bard, but also being Mance and fake Arya being a blue rose, but actually being Jane Poole with the blue plate. And of course, this is all a huge play on Lyanna and Radar by George, and in turn Jon Snow, but I digress. We're getting off topic. I mean, like, 
Mantis kind of thinking it, but not with the Liana and Rhaegar. Mantis like, oh, I was born to play this role. This is the concert I've always wanted to do. <laughs> He's so excited. But Theon over here is surprised actually that like this is a this is a pretty bold song. And thankfully though, Ramsey seems to be getting a laugh out of the song instead of wanting to like flay the guy for singing it. Right. Joffrey is fuck as well, right? Very reminiscent. While Ramsey doesn't mutilate the singer, his whole court holds their breath until Ramsey laughs. They're waiting for that moment when they know it's okay to laugh. And that's very much what we as the audience experience in those Sansa chapters. We we get that holding your breath until the coast is clear. That's true. And it's kind of fascinating to me that Ramsay actually likes the song and that it goes this way because I'm thinking of a different time in another story that uh, maybe you and I have read once together, Chloe, where there's someone else who's putting kind of coercive messages into their performances. By that I mean Tanzel Too Tall. Who, Don't be like, mad at Tanzel Too Tall. Who I'm not has mad, a liber- She has a liberal arts degree. Leave her alone. A freedom of the press, you know, but like I was just surprised. <laughs> freedom of the press. I was just surprised. I was like, Tansel Too Tall, that is a bold-ass play you are putting on here. What is this? And I'm apparently, Arian Brightflame thought the same, but, you know, whereas I'm just, like, raising my eyebrows, Arian Brightflame's like, we're gonna, we're gonna kill her, we're gonna beat her, and I was like, whoa, chill out, bro. But you know it's totally because he's a jock, and, like, she said no to him, and she's the artsy weird girl that's also brown. Oh, true, that's part of it. I'm just saying. Yeah. She probably played viola. (laughs) <laughs> but explain to me then is this how Tyrion thinks of Simon Silvertongue yeah yeah <laughs> with, Simon, with Simon Silvertongue did he rebuff Tyrion's advances <laughs> and that's a that's a, an alternate that's an alternate universe ship that we can make um, just to ruin people's lives anyways so Arya is not here to join in on this audience uh, participation laughter. She's been in her tower since the wedding, we hear. Ramsay decided to make Theon Arya's handmaiden, or at least her bathmaid, which was really just to embarrass him in front of the court. So whenever Ramsay had an itch to bet his wife, it fell to Theon to borrow some serving women from Lady Waldar, Lady Dustin, and fetch hot water from the kitchens. Though Arya never spoke to any of them, they could not fail to see her bruises. It is her own fault. She has not pleased him. Just be Arya, he told the girl once as he helped her into the water. Lord Ramsay does not want to hurt you. He only hurts us when we when we forget. He never cut me without cause. I mean, I yikes. guess that's, that's a take. That's the yikes. <laughs> that's... That's the easy way, Theon. Yeah. 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 Reek thinks about how Theon would have saved Jane, but Reek cannot. And when Ramsay is sick of his current plaything, Jane, he would return to Reek, remove more fingers or toes, take his hands and feet. Reek prays that he just gets to keep hanging out with the dogs. He's like, I really hope I can just go back to the dogs at this point. I mean, yes. That is also a mood, wanting to just hang out with dogs. But, like, (laughs) Theon, this whole thing is, like, kind of cowardly again. Like, he thinks that he wants to help Jane in a way, but also he's like, oh, but it's your fault that you're being hurt. 
And part of it is that indoctrination that Theon has experienced from his abuse. But of course, another part of it is like, Ramsay keeps taking his pleasure, Jane. And then that means that Reek is spared from all of that. And I, I think that there's kind of like that hope that maybe if Ramsay's distracted, then he won't notice me is what Reek is th- thinking. And it kind of reminds me of that, um, spoilers, uh, line in the Forsaken chapter when Euron asks Aaron, he's like, when I used to come into your room, were you praying that I would come to you or come to Yuri? Because he's wondering, are you praying that you were taking the abuse instead of Yuri, or were you hoping that Yuri was getting it instead of you? I was like, damn. Serious shit. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. He takes his gray gruel to the back of the hall out of the torchlight. After a third spoonful, he quits eating it. He observes men discussing the storm, watching them hover over braziers, when a voice comes out behind him. Beyond Greyjoy. It's one of the washerwomen, Abel brought, who tries to convince him to dance and then, you know, maybe sex. He asks her to go away, and she tries to offer him one of her sisters instead. She even offers him a song written by Abel of his capture of Winterfell and how he was Theon the Clever, but he thinks of himself more as Theon the Turncloak and says it was madness. Glorious madness. Stannis has 5,000, they say, but Abel claims ten times as many still could not breach these walls. So how did you get in, my lord? Did you have some secret way? I had ropes, Theon thought. I had grapnels. I had darkness on my side and surprise. The castle was but lightly held, and I took them unawares. But he said none of that. If Abel made a song about him, like as not, Ramsay would prick his eardrums to make certain he never heard it. I'm just sure I get the idea of my eardrums being pricked. Ow. Yeah, you can see the indoctrination in this line, though, as Theon thinks that, like, this is another ploy, like the one with Kyra. He just keeps coming back to that. That that whole thing is like a ghost. I'm having a great time with that. It, that's haunting all of these chapters and frightens Theon <laughs> from taking any uh, action. And it's taught him how to not be a hero, because when you do, bad things happen, but... Turns out Rowan has a different ulterior motive here, which is not turning him into Ramsay, but it's obviously just like, because we all know, right, that Abel is Mance, and that the washerwomen are wildling women, and she is fishing for information about how they can take Winterfell, or how they can, like, get in and out with quote-unquote Arya. I love that Mance, like, is just, like, this little cult leader on the other side of the wall, usually, you know? Like, he's just surrounded by, like, little spearwives who are like, yeah... I'll sell my pussy for your whole thing, Mance. Like, I'm ready. Let's get in there. Let's break this. Let's bust this joint. Let's go. They're like, yeah, riding their dresses up, playing loots and shit. What is that? Whoa, how did... What makes you think that they're fans, Chloe? I mean, they are the band members. Like, all right, one of them's out here. She's on She's on bass. The other oh plays drums. None of them play viola, though. It's it's the it's the <laughs> inverse, you know. Usually you'll have like bands where I guess a lot of the instrument players are men, and then your like frontman or singer is a woman. It's that, but gender swapped. Yeah, Mance is the singer, and the girls of the band. I like it. I like it. Yeah. So Rowan tells him he can trust her because Abel does, and then she introduces herself. She tells him that her name is Rowan, and I want to talk a little bit about the Rowan tree, the etymology, some of the mythology behind it. Rowan trees in European mythology are talked about as wayfarers' trees or travelers' trees. 
and they're supposed to prevent those on a journey from getting lost. The leaves look like eagle feathers when they grow, and they stain red from its berries, which is kind of said in Greek mythology to be a story about Hebe. Hebe is the goddess of youth. She's known to kind of have a goblet she carries that dispenses a rejuvenating, reviving ambrosia she gives to the gods to keep them healthy and young. She loses this cup to the demons, and the gods help her get it back by sending an eagle to fight to get it back. And that's why the leaves look like they do. They look like eagle feathers and the berries stain them with dripping blood. So really interesting, especially because she's here almost offering Theon this out. If he really tried to engage, he might have gone further and realized like, oh, this is all a ploy. You know, he could have figured it out this night. But he is between these two dualities with Ramsay and Ramsay's torture. And he's lost. He's lost on his journey. He's in between. And Rowan's here to try to give him, you know, that traveler's tree, that wayfarer's mm-hmm. tree, that guide, that journey. So it's just a really interesting choice on George's part to give this character this name. Uh, definitely he thinks about the etymology, even of these small characters, just a little bit. And it's an interesting name. Yeah. And I mean, even if Theon doesn't take it now, she definitely plays a role in all of that. in whisking them away and helping them travel out later on. Mm-hmm. Because we, this is a reread and we all know what happens. Um Leap to faith. Leap to faith. <laughs> Theon slips back into being Reek, and then he thinks again, like, this is a play by Ramsay. And then he thinks, he wanted to hit her to smash that mocking smile off her face. He wanted to kiss her to fuck her right there on the table and make her cry his name. But he knew he dared not touch her in anger or in lust. Reek, Reek, my name is Reek, I must not forget my name. He jerked to his feet and made his way wordlessly to the doors, limping on his maimed feet. It's intense. The dualities really begin to fight in this. Uh, Theon is in there, as we've kind of been saying. Like, you can see it, he's there. The His sister Arya talk with Rowan probably helped him bring this out. You can see him fighting between himself, which kind of reminds me of an album by my favorite band. Uh, they're called brand new. They've ruined my life because the lead singer's awful, but they had some good music. And one of the albums is called The Devil and God Are Raging Inside Me. Uh, And I think that's very much what's happening here. Theon has that devil and God raging inside him. Ramsay is this one half of him right now. One half, right? And the other half of him is broken him. It's Reek. It's Theon trying to escape it. Ramsay's eating at him. Ew. Nom, 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 nom. Is that why he flays? It's not what he does with the flayed skin. More like a souffle. Oh my god. So I'm going to (laughs) quickly go on a tangent. It is related to Song of Ice and Fire. So this gray area, who has a YouTube channel and has a lot of really fantastic videos on A Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones, you should definitely check her out was talking about a brunch that is Game of Thrones themed and I looked at it uh the menu and some of the food sounds really good but I was like wow one of them was called Theon Sausage and I was like wow that's okay. bold someone at Dragon Con actually had that uh there was a vendor that had Theon Sausage uh. as a meal I was like uh <laughs> I know put it back like, wow I mean on one hand clap 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 but on the other hand I'm just like oh damn Serious meal. Not very appetizing, you know? Mm-mm. Not for Snow me. Snow is falling in the yard, and the Brizzle Boys and Burton Boys 
are fighting each other with snowballs, and the squires build snowmen on the ramparts, and they're equipping them with spears and shields. And then one of the sentries begins to speak to Theon, and then he realizes who it is, and he's like, oh, fuck you, and then spits. He doesn't say fuck you, but, you He know. basically says fuck you. He's like, yeah. Theon, turn cloak. He's like, oh, you can't sit with us. Yeah, at first he's, like, just chilling, and he's like, ah, that was a kid. This winter. Ah, oh, fuck you, bitch. That's him. That was the guy's voice. Pretty much. Thank you. I was, uh, I just did that. I committed to the bit. So. Maybe that's in the Hallmark movie, too. <laughs> it's a callback. <gasps> Full circle. So the snow falling in the yard and that snowball fight with the Rizwell boys and the Barrowton boys. Very much so just reminds me of, of course, the snowball fights in A Song of Ice and Fire symbolizing innocence. Right, you get the Sansa quote of all of them having a snow fight in the yard and her and Arya, Arya taking her down and putting snow in her hair and then her back and forth with Arya. It reminds you of that. It reminds you of Aww. Theon thinking of Rob and of course John and Rob. Uh, John thinking of Rob and just snow symbolizes this. And then Sam. Yeah, Sam. With the snow in their hair. Yes, it's just, you know, snow falling and snowball fights. Always better times, golden era, you know, uh, just... Sweet innocence and growing of age and that, that beautiful, sweet memory and before it's, you know, horrible and everything's awful and Ned's dead. And this passage with the Barrowton Riswell boys fighting, uh, especially before Theon speaks at Barbary, it portrays that innocence again in light of Theon's internal battle finding himself. It kind of also is hopeful. It's like, uh, like there's a better place. Look at these kids playing a snowball fight right there, Theon. You could be there someday. You could have a snowball fight, buddy. Yeah, there's there's a lot of duality in the way Snow is acting in this chapter. And of course, you know, our villain is named Ramsay Snow, so I don't know. But also, so is our hero, Jon Snow. Snow, what's it mean? And the play on legitimization. Yep. Theon walks past the stables, which were once burned by Ramsay, but now they have been rebuilt. They are now twice as large. Thank you, Bolton regime. Thank you, Roose Bolton, for rebuilding the war horses. Wow, what a great regime. You know what? Vote Bolton. Rebuilt that Yeah, they are building area. houses for the horses. House the horses. House the horses. House, House the horses. Vote Roose. <laughs> And yeah, so it's housing all the horses of his bannermen, which is, that's a platform. Theon goes further into the ruined castle, and then he stops in front of a room that used to be his room. And then he goes, he's just going on like this whole tour by himself, past the ruins of Micken's Forge and Catelyn's Sept. And then later he passes by Rickard Griswell, making out with one of the washerwomen. I mean, that's, that's his youth, right? That was him. That's all of him just slipping away in front of him. He's watching Rickard Riswell make out with one of the washerwomen, and Theon's not that man anymore. He's reek. He's no one. He's not a lord. You know, he's not even a ward of the north. He's he's just reek. Yeah, he's coming back to Winterfell as a changed person and saying goodbye to all these things from his youth. And this idea you were talking about earlier with Theon seeing that innocence of the boys playing with the snowballs and comparing that with Sansa, it's making me think of like Sansa... Read them, Sansa, and feed them. Yes, that's exactly it. Oh my god, you read my mind. I got you. I'm in your brains, know, reading your brain quotes. We've been so synced up today. <laughs> we've been at it. It's not over yet either. It's not over, everyone. It ain't over till the Lady Barbary sings. 
Or something. Or something. No one had given him freedom of the castle, but no one had denied it to him either. He could go where he would within the walls. And again, again, because this is what we're doing right now. It reminds me of how Sansa was given kind of rain, you know, wandering the Red Keep. But she's like, I can't really go anywhere, but I can kind of go anywhere I want in here, I guess. Yeah, like when she's allowed to go riding on her pony, but around in a circle. Like, that's it. That's so sad. Like, that, just like pathetic, kind of sad, you know? Yeah. We learn about Winterfell's architecture. Again, its outer wall is newer with octagonal towers. And outside, the snow is turning everything white. The snows were covering all of them beneath a pale, soft mantle, burying the remnants of the winter town, hiding the blackened walls Ramsay's men had left behind when they put the houses to torch. The wounds snow made, snow conceals, but that was wrong. Ramsay was a Bolton now, not a snow, never a snow. Yeah, and as you were saying, this is that other side of the snow, because it's not just innocence in bringing purity and absolution, it is also death and it hides the ugliness and it's all that ugliness is still there underneath. And Theon's seeing the snow now from the perspective of what it's bringing him much older. I think that it's interesting because you have, again, like the language of weather carrying a lot of the emotional weight of the story. And of course, many of us who grew up in the Western world or <laughs> in areas where there are multiple seasons that are markedly different from one another do associate those early snows with childhood, with like freedom, that innocence, playing with one another, as as you were saying, those snowball fights. But then we also have those sayings of like the winter of um the winter of like, I don't know, our discontent, which is a book by Steinbeck, but not really that. But you know, the winter that comes with the old age. That's the worst of the Steinbeck books. I'm sorry. Opinions, opinions. Um, Steinbeck's <laughs> I, my favorite author, and I did not like that book. I love. No, his you ones. have to. You have to be real about your favorite authors. I criticize mine all the time. Good for you. Yeah. No one's yeah. perfect. No, it was a weak book, and East of Eden is a masterpiece. I love it so. East much, of but... Eden is a masterpiece. Okay, but this book, which this is also an amazing book, not as yeah. good as Beast for Crows. Shout out. A Dance with Dragons. Um, yeah, the difference between the winters of childhood and, and that fun and innocence and the winters that come with old age when the world is cold and all your friends are dying and shit because you're old. And But Dion feels old on the inside. And then he looks out beyond the hills of snow and thinks about how Stannis Baratheon is out there somewhere. And in my notes, we're, I mean, we're not really going to sing this. Okay. We could if you want. Nope, nope, we're going along. Okay. And what you said does remind me of, I mean, we even get this in dance with, you know, Big Bucket Wool, Big Booty Wool, and his, you big know. Big Booty Wool. <laughs> remember I changed Jeff's screen name to that? Yes. <laughs> Trying to be alive. Anyways, Ice and Firecon, hashtag represent. Um, <laughs> big Booty Wool uh, even says, you know, like, this is probably my last winter, you know, like, let me bathe in bold and blood. If that's how I go out, if I go out just, like, murdering Boltons. Fine. Sounds good to me. Because old Nan said, this is when men go out into the 10 mm -hmm. feet of snow because they know that they will just eat too much and their family won't survive. And their family needs food. So they just are like, I'm going to go hunt to get us food. And they're like, Dad, there's 20 feet of snow. Why would you do this? He's like, no, no, Dad's tough. I'll be back. And then they just go out there and like die on purpose so that like, you know, their yeah. family survives. Like, that's what this winter is about to be. This is the winter. So it, it's crazy to think about, like, just this whole battle that's going to take place uh, 
And Stannis is out there. He is. He uh he's probably freezing. You know, we know from what we've read, he's kind of low on some stores, right? He'd mm-hmm. have a difficult time taking Winterfell, which Theon achieved only because of stealth and because of prior knowledge. Stannis doesn't have this advantage. Theon thinks strategies that Stannis might take, like cutting Winterfell off and starving it out, sieging it. And Winterfell, though, is stocked because the several parties that have come to it for the wedding brought a ton of food. But the party's really big, meaning they will run out eventually. Stannis's people will also be desperate for food and itching to get inside a castle with stores. And obviously from all this, Roose isn't dumb. He's tied the Northerners to his cause, whether they wanted to, whether they liked it or not. Much like Littlefinger mm-hmm. is doing in the Eyrie, you know, like, whichever way you go, it's coming back yeah, to me. Yeah, I'm going to double back quickly to what you're saying about, you know, the Northmen coming out in the winter and dying. And I point to an essay by Militant Penguin. He wrote this one on Reddit, but Milton Penguin was also a writer on the Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire blog for a while, and he wrote about how, you know, this winter's terrible and a lot of the older men or older people are going to go out there and die, but how the Manderly party and a lot of them might see this winter and what they're doing here against the Boltons as their last stand in the winter, right? They're just going out there and being like, all right, we're doing it. Yeah. What have we got to lose? Nothing. But They've lost everything. Yeah. Though I guess if they die, you know, they become part of the army of the dead, but whatever, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. You can see the setup in these chapters, though, that, like, as you are saying, there's, like, a lot of focus on Stannis, and it's interesting because it's not just because he's, like, this threat out there, but because in terms of structure of the story, George R. R. Martin is setting down that groundwork for Theon, running to Stannis for shelter for him and Jane, where before Stannis seemed like the person who's going to come in their sleep and kill them, Theon's all like, oh, did we die already? Did Stannis kill us? But now Stannis becomes like their only hope. Their god, so to speak. Oh, oh they're Azora High. Oh. Wow, their prince that was promised. Oh, oh my, my god. god. Theon, of course, finds himself in the god's wood. Beneath the white cloak trees, the earth had turned to mud. Tendrils of mist hung in the air like ghostly ribbons. Why did I come here? These are not my gods. This is not my place. The heart tree stood before him, a pale giant with a carved face and leaves like bloody hands. This chapter is so good, and that passage is so good. All of the gods would stuff with Theon. This is what we've been waiting for. And the way that the heart tree is described, the, the pale giant with a carved face and leaves like bloody hands. Ah. Uh, yes. Creepy. Weird. And of course, the gray mist, the white cloaked trees, the ghostly ribbons. What does it mean, Chloe? Tell us what it means. It means Blood Raven is there, bitch. He's doing some shit. He's watching. They're sitting there watching Weirwood.net, CCTV. Indeed. They're on it. Have you thought like about the fact that, and I know you mentioned this in the last cast a little, that the Grey Mist isn't just Blood Raven, that it's Bran. Like, is there a possibility that in later books, have you considered like that it is more of just Bran and not Blood Raven, as Blood Raven becomes eclipsed by Bran? So yes, yes, yes. If you, when we get into the Winds of Winter chapter, yeah, I've thought a lot about the Winds of Winter sample chapter. We're going to talk about probably this month. Uh, for patrons, so sign up for that. $5 and up gets you access to our Winds of Winter chapters and, of course, the rest of our patron episodes. We've done some fun episodes on identity, 
And of course, the Dance of the Dragons. We have a three-parter going on four-parter there, so check it out. It's never going to end. We're pulling a George R. R. Martin. But I do think that baton passes. I think it's obvious in The Winds of Winter, and we're going to talk about it in this episode this month, that that baton passes from Bloodraven to Bran. This is Bran mostly that we hear from in The Winds of Winter. Um, that's who's watching him at the end. It starts with Bloodraven. It starts with Bran. We get that... Melisandre chapter within all of this, you know, earlier on we get the Melisandre chapter and she, you know, thinks about how she sees them. So they're slowly becoming prominent. But then as we get into the Winds of Winter, it seems like Bloodraven kind of fades off. So we'll see when Theon's chapter takes place in relation to Bran or if we get Bran, you know, in the middle of something thinking about something that already happened and now they're at the new location. Kind of like that Theon, Ned, Sansa post-traumatic chapter thing kind of goes and of course all of this imagery brings back that second half of the Sansa passage in the veil and storm of swords that we talked about it's what follows that I do not belong here and there's this line where yet she stepped out all the same her boots tore ankle deep holes into the smooth white surface of the snow yet made no sound Sansa drifted past frosted shrubs and thin dark trees and wondered if she were still dreaming yes and of course, Theon has that similar feeling in some of these, but it's kind of like a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. His life sucks right now. Yep. In the grove, Theon gets to his knees and he begins to plea. First, he begins starting an apology, and then he starts asking for salvation. He's deciding whether to ask the old gods. He's wavering between, like, what am I even going to ask them for? Like, strength, courage, mercy, and then... Far away, he hears Jane sobbing in the back, and he thinks, gods do not weep, or do they? That's what you're going to ask for, bitch. He decides whether to ask, you know, for the strength, courage, or mercy, but then he hears Jane sobbing in the back. You know what? Ask for all of it. What's the fucking point, you know, if you can't just ask for all of it? Yeah, you're not going to get shit, Theon. You know, just shoot your shot, Theon. <laughs> You miss 100% of the shots that you don't take, Theon. I mean, you'll miss some of the ones that you do take, as we learn in The Song of Ice and Fire. Yeah, you're an archer. You know how it goes. Um, The Song of Ice and Fire, though, yeah, like, that idea of whether or not gods weep. The story is definitely about children who are being put in positions of power above what they can handle. Because, I mean, like, normal adults cannot handle this, okay? Like, we're putting wee babs here. And we haven't really, I think, seen Bran cry Yet, as an almighty powerful being, but, like, it seems as though people are having dreams, you know, coming back to dreams, of him looking sad. And, of course, he is a god. He's the old god. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We have seen him cry. We've seen the Weirwoods cry. Oh. But, like, is it, like, it's him and it's not him, you know? It's like, um... I put on a crying mask, but people have seen him looking very sad in their dreams. And it also kind of reminds me of Daenerys at the end of A Storm of Swords, um, when she's on top of the Pyramid of Marine, and she's wondering if the gods ever felt lonely. And it's very much just about that idea of like the fallibility of gods, if they weep and all those things. And I think George is unpacking that, like the vulnerability of like your heroes. But of course, that also means like, the weaknesses of the devils of Song of Ice and Fire, like Ramsay and Euron and Joffrey and whatever. I love that isolation of the god, kind of lonely. Yeah. That lonely god idea of Danny alone and Marine, no one she can truly trust, yeah. and John, especially when he comes back from the dead, I think he's going to be uh, 
even lonelier in that. And I mean, puberty is already hard and lonely as it is. Puberty's so hard and they're all going through it alone mostly or like with horrible, creepy people that are guiding their moves like Danny with Jorah, Danny with... I guess Drogo, Danny with Viserys, Danny with Illyrio. Yeah. Listen, do you need me to keep going? Or uh, Sansa with, you know, Littlefinger. Puberty's hard. Um, yeah, puberty's really hard. And they have it very hard. And I, I want to piggyback on what you say about these kids kind of positions of power. And that's what this story is about. And that's very true. It's something that I will just like broken record about, obviously, uh-huh. forever. Because... This story isn't about the Cerseys and the Littlefingers. It's not about Jamie. It's not about Brienne in the end. I mean, it is. They're big parts of the story, but it's not about them in the very end. It's about rebuilding Westeros. And maybe some of them do survive, but people like Littlefinger, there's no place in the world they're going to build in the aftermath. There's no place for Euron. A lot of these big villains have to die. There's no place for Ramsay and Bruce in the end of this story. Yeah, or hopefully not. There better not be. I'll kill a bitch. Your own inner demons as everyone wrestles with that intergenerational trauma after what they went through. Me. Building a country. My yep. tick. Promise me, Eliana. <laughs> Every time I like watch anything now, they're like, promise me. Yep, I'm like, <gasps> <laughs> Anyway, as Theon gets back up, he's thinking that there are ghosts in Winterfell and that he is one of them. It's just... That's such a good line. It's like, yeah, it's such a good line. It's almost like uh, we're going to use it again in the title of a chapter. What? No. No. More snowmen had risen in the yard by the time Theon Greyjoy made his way back. To command the snowy sentinels on the walls, the squires had erected a dozen snowy lords. One was plainly meant to be Lord Manderly. It was the fattest snowman Theon had ever seen. I'm sorry, that's adorable. It is. The one-armed lord could only be Harwood Stout, the snow lady Barbary Dustin, and the one closest to the door with the beard made of icicles had to be old Whore's Bay number. All right, so earlier, the snowy sentinels and the soldiers, obviously, you're supposed to be thinking like, oh, kind of like the whites. But here, now that there are lords, and you have like, of course, the white walkers who are like the necromancers kind of controlling the whites. I mean, like, guys, we've talked about it before. Here or elsewhere, like, the whites and the others, they're a metaphor, okay, for the rest of Westeros and the lords controlling the soldiers and just sending them out to die without really caring about how most of them feel, you know? It's a thing. This is a real thing. Yeah, what she said. And, no, no, you you covered that really well. I don't have to go on. Uh, The dogs, though are here. They are not others. They are not whites. They are puppers, and they are happy to see Threek. Threek slash Theon. And Hellicent curls up by his feet. She's eating Aww. a bone at the same time. She's like, they're just so happy to see her. It's almost like you forget that they're like murder dogs, but... Get the boy a dog. He'll be happier for it. Get, get him an entire pack of dogs. I mean, who wouldn't be happier for that? Think yeah. about it. The lone doggo dies, but the pack survives. Yeah, the the pack cuddles. Theon's a Stark, see? He's we a did it. We did it. <laughs> As Theon eats his soup, he hears news from scouts that Stannis' advance has slowed to a crawl. Their war horses, the large, huge, thunderous war horses, are struggling in the snow. But the small ones are doing better. Hashtag horse facts. 
The hill clans, though, won't go too far forward, even with their faster, smaller horses, because separation would cause the whole host to fall apart. But also, guess what? Abel is here right now. Yeah, he's just playing away, right? And Barbary joins in the hall, and she sends for Theon. She's completely disgusted by his smell. She remarks, Theon's wearing the same clothes he wore at the wedding. Which, like, what? Okay, duh. Yeah, she's just like... Ew, and I'm, I don't know, do people just, like, is, do the people not understand how this whole torture thing works? Like, why is this surprising to anyone? Especially because, like, his hair is white. Like, he looks like a different person. He walks with a gait. Like, he's obviously injured and here against his will, and, like, obviously some shit's gone down. Like, just look at him, and the smell, like, that's not normal. But also, maybe it's, like, they just think it is, right? Like, maybe they think Ironborn are just smelly and gross. I mean, maybe, but some of these people, like, have met him before, right? Like, there's no... Yeah, like, obviously he's not well-kept like he was. He used to wear the clothes he's wearing right now. Like, these were given to him as a facade. You know, like, the clothes he used to wear were velvety and beautiful, and he had gold chains that he bought, you know, uh, with what money? I guess Stark money, no one knows. Yeah, and he's been trying to wear that outfit the whole time, but it doesn't fit anymore, just like the idea that... The Theon from before meeting Ramsay, before being tortured by Ramsay, doesn't fit him anymore as an identity. But we're seeing it throughout these chapters that Reek obviously isn't who he is. So maybe we'll see yeah. like in, in Winds and later on as he tries to wrestle and find a new, different Theon that works for who he is. Theon replies to her that these are the clothes he was given. These are the chains he must wear, right? That's straight up what yeah. he's saying. Dustin asks Theon to show her the way to the crypts. She's kind of snippy. She's like, that's where my favorite Starks are, because they're dead. Uh, edgy. edgy. The entrance to the crypts is in the oldest part of the castle, and Ramsay burned this down, too. It's a ruinous shell, and there's a gargoyle poking out of the snow, which reminds me of Sansa trying to make her gargoyles in her snow castle, and she can't form them, and Littlefinger's like, just... Just here, just take some snow, throw it right here. It looks like how the gargoyles would. They'd just be lumps. They'd just be lumps in the winter. Don't, what are you doing, you idiot? That's like, go get a job. Uh, <laughs> Pretty much. I'm almost tempted to say it to Barbary Dustin at times in this chapter. We'll get to that. Barbary Dustin is like, she got her inheritance from her fucking husband's will. And now she's just like, well, I'm just bored and my husband died and i really didn't like him but i'm just more mad he died i just she's mad at a lot of things she lives in a lake house she lives in a lake house she is a white woman in a lake house who has nothing better to do than drink wine at 3 p.m on a sunday yeah you know i don't yeah arbery you i uh, think she's a badass strong female character you know but also real bitter and, like, not a lot of payoff yeah, yet. I agree. bitter. Like, where's the payoff? Like, what's... Yeah, I'm, I think I might truth? feel more, um, less like, Barbara, what are you not noticing here? If, when we get that payoff. But right now, I'm just like, girl, what? Anyway. Theon, in this moment, yeah. thinks about how, oh, this is the spot where we found Bran after he fell. Mm-hmm. And then he thinks, like, that didn't kill Bran, just like I didn't. That boy just keeps on surviving. It's not dead, just broken like me. Oh. Oh. 
Why would you do that? I just want everyone to be real sad with me for a minute. Everyone, you all on board? Allie? She is. She put her head down. Oh, Allie. (laughs) It takes forever to get into the crypt, and they have to clear the path, and they're like, we got it. We're at the door. And it turns out, like, the door is frozen shut. It's like a whole fucking endeavor. They finally get in, and the air grows warmer as they get further down. Because the springs. That's true. It is that. Below, Lady Dustin knows. She's like, Arya, our Lady Arya, Ramsay's bride, is weeping. Theon's just cautious in his responses for obvious reasons, and Dustin tells Theon, you gotta tell your bastard that Roose is, like, pretty displeased with all of this. And Theon's just like, what? He's not my bastard. Also, like, emphasis on, like, your bastard. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm his pet. Like, what are you insinuating, Barbary? Listen. <laughs> it's like, what are you not understanding about all of this? And that's what I'm just not getting. I'm like, what do you not get about all of this? Like, he obviously is in no position to say these things. But it's just like last chapter, right? It's uh, just like the Prince of Winterfell. Roose told Theon to be like, Ramsay, you need to chill. And Theon's like, I don't think that's a good idea for me. And Barbary's like, you need to tell Ramsay that he needs to chill. And Theon's like, ah. And like, all these adults are underestimating Ramsay. And they're just like, oh, if someone would just tell him to stop, maybe, you know, his friend, Reek, will tell him to stop. That nice boy. Kind of smells weird, but, you know, we'll hang out with him. And why is no one telling Ramsay to chill? Like, because no one does that. Because only Ramsay tells Ramsay to chill. Because Ramsay's a psychopath. And he's going to kill Roose Bolton. And that was my TED talk. And I didn't warn you of it this time, but it was going there. No, I knew it was going there. I saw it. I saw it coming. I saw it coming. You can run, but you can't hide, bitch. I didn't even put a quote in this time. I just did it. Oh, I know. <laughs> oh, I know. I, I saw it coming here. I, I it was like she's gonna bring it up. I could see. I could see it building. Just know I was there. The North remembers. I, I know. Squad. Do people still say squad? Is that still? A, I, don't I don't know. Think it's a thing anymore. Unsure. Unsure. Unclear. And essentially, Theon has like what is the thought equivalent of like we belong together. Regarding him and Ramsay, I'm like, no, you poor boy. Please. It's not how this works. Don't please don't think that. Lady Dustin talks about how dressing the girl in stark colors it's pretty fucking unhelpful if she seems miserable the entire time because you know what the rest of the North fucking loves the Starks. So if she seems miserable in the stark colors, this is bad for us. But she doesn't love the Starks. She is not like those other northern people, those other girls <laughs> who love the Starks. Because, I mean, like, the other Northmen haven't forgotten what happened to Lady Hornwood. So it wouldn't really be good for that same thing to happen to, as she says, Valiant Ned's precious little girl. Yes, I imagine she says that in the most scathing, bitter tone possible, right? Like, that, that sarcastic, oh, that Valiant Ned's precious little girl. It's like, jam. You know, Barbary was a fucking... She was hot when she was younger. You know, she's still pretty... They, they describe her as handsome, but like... Woo, woo, Barbary fucked. As we know. Oh, she did. Oh, she fucked. She did. He fucked. She could pull. Theon thinks Arya isn't Ned's daughter. That she's the steward's daughter. But maybe, maybe Dustin knows, you know? Also, maybe everyone knows deep down. Maybe they just want a reason to go out in a last freezing bitter war. 
Yeah, it's just kind of hard to think. Like, I mean, I think there are definitely some of them who don't know, right? Right, right. Some are just like ignorant of their own fault, but I feel like some people are like, ignorance is bliss. Like, especially the people that are in on it, like the car starts, the umbers are like, yeah, that's oh, yeah. not Arya. They definitely know. They gotta. They gotta. Yeah, I mean, like, it seems like all of the lords know. At the very least, or, or the nobility. Which, in the end, is ultimately really a bummer because, you know, Jane is... The, no one cares about Jane. <laughs> Jane doesn't matter, you know, except Theon. They should. They should. But they don't. They should. But they should. We're going to go into more depth in this, like, in oh, yeah. the Theodwin's chapter. I've got a lot of thoughts. Oh, yeah. So, the lowest level of the crypts is partially collapsed, we learn. Which I think that's going to come back at some point. I don't know how. I just feel like it yeah. will. It's just such a detail. It feels like out. it. Yeah. It, I agree. I, I don't know what, like you said, but feel. It's got that feeling, yeah. you know? More than a feeling. Like when you're watching um, a cartoon, right? And you see like... An anvil. Especially the old cartoons. Oh. Or not just the anvil, you know, like sometimes like a certain part is drawn differently. And you're like, yeah. that's going to animate somehow. Dread fills Theon as he sees all of the Stone Kings. He doesn't know their names, but he used to. He remembers Torin Stark, the last king in the north, the king who knelt, before Rob, that is. And he even thinks of his namesake, the Hungry Wolf. Lady Dustin asks to see Ned's tomb. The stone eyes of the dead men seem to follow them, and the eyes of their stone direwolves as well. The faces stirred faint memories. A few names came back to him, unbidden, whispered in the ghostly voice of Maester Lewin. King Edric Snowbeard, who had ruled the North for a hundred years. Brandon the Shipwright, who had sailed beyond the sunset. Theon Stark, the Hungry Wolf, my namesake. Lord Baron Stark, who made common cause with Casterly Rock to war against Dagon Greyjoy. Lord of Pike, in the days when the Seven Kingdoms were ruled in all but name by the bastard sorcerer men called Blood Raven. Huh, Blood Raven? I've never heard of him. How interesting he turns up in this chapter. Have you ever heard of him? Huh. I've never heard of him. But I you know what? He's important. It's really funny because you say that, but every time I think of Blood Raven, it's just like I get this foggy feeling. Hmm, yeah. It's I get just, a little. It's too far. Misty. You know, just misty a, little, uh, a little gray about it. Yeah. See where I'm going with that? I'm talking to Blood Raven. That's so Blood Raven. It's the future he can see. It's the future he can see. That's so I think Blood the first Raven. person that I think of saying that is uh, Ashea. That used to be like her pinned yeah, tweet. Yeah, Ashea totally did it first. Yes, I believe she was the Blood Raven tweeter for that. Yes. What a bop. <laughs> it was actually a really good song. It's so mysterious to me. I related to Chelsea really hard. So. What? Chelsea, the character. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, that's me. Interesting. The white friend with the red dyed hair. Okay. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You feel that? I don't know who I related to in that show. I don't know, the little brother or something. You're Corey? As it always I could see Corey, it. yeah, Corey in the house. Corey in the house, that, it's yeah. you. Oh my he God. got his own show called Corey in the House. Anyways. Anyway. Are you? What? Lady Dustin, like, had asked. Theon earlier, if you remembered the names of the kings when they were going through the crypts, and Theon was all like, I used to, but obviously not anymore. But I think it's interesting that we see the names coming back to him here. And of course, it's through the names of like all these other figures of 
history, like, of these Starks, just as, like, how Theon keeps remembering Jane's name and that she's not Arya, like, we see him beginning to reclaim the name of Theon, not Reek, just a little through all of these other names, and I think that's just kind of fun, poetic. Totally reminds you of the heraldry that comes with Sansa and her arc, and also, you really see a lot of that steel covering Theon in this that you know, Dustin had said, do you remember the names of the kings? He's like, nope, sure don't. And then he gets here and all he sees as he looks around, he's like, of course I didn't start names. Like, this is where I grew up. This was my home. Yeah. And Lady Dustin notices that some of the kings are missing their swords and their streaks of rust where they should be and like probably wore down. And it definitely unnerves Theon, who thinks again of those ghosts in Winterfell and himself again being one. And these swords are supposed to, like, hold spirits in, so it's kind of weird and creepy. Yeah, I love that whole theory that the sword is keeping, like, the dead Starks at, you know, how they are. They're not, uh, yeah. they're not going out and becoming whites or whatever, but that, like, you remove the swords, then the dead will rise or whatever. I don't know. I love that it's supposed to keep their spirits in. It's just yeah. a really interesting theory, and I, I don't remember who did the original, but... It's probably from, like, the Westeros. Dude, it's probably older than that. It's probably from the Dragonstone forums. Oh, damn. No, I'm just kidding. you're right. It's definitely Westeros because it's, like, what, 2011? Yeah, but they definitely discussed those ideas earlier on in, like, the Crypt and, like, Clash, right? Yeah, that's true. That was discussed because they take the swords. So, Yeah. yeah, this is probably from Dragonstone. This is probably shit that was old. This is, like, before our time. Well, when... You know. Like the Starks of old before our time. Oh wow, wow! But Thanks. you know their names are lost, lost to the annals of the the annals, the annals of GeoCities and whatever Angel Fire. Theon finally asks Lady Dustin why she hates the Starks. My lady, why do you hate the Starks? She studied him for the same reason you love them. Theon stumbled. Love them? I never. I took this castle from them, my lady. I had had Bran and Regan put to death, mounted their heads on Spike's eye. Rode south with Rob Stark, fought beside him at the Whispering Wood in River Run, returned to the Iron Islands as his envoy to treat with your own father. Barrowton sent men with the young wolf as well. I gave him as few men as I dared, but I knew that I must needs give him some, or risk the wrath of Winterfell. So I had my own eyes and ears in that host. They kept me well informed. I know who you are. I know what you are. Now answer my question. Why do you love the Starks? I... Theon put a gloved hand against a pillar. I wanted to be one of them. And never could. We have more in common than you know, my lord, but... Come. So... Obviously, this is a big character moment for Theon finally admitting the thing that we kind of like had seen building up in the past few chapters. But, you know, we'll get to Theon. We'll get to Theon. But first, we want to talk about Lady Dustin. Yes. Acting as a sort of mirror to Jane Poole in this moment. It's something I've been known to just like yell about incessantly. That this feudal society and how women subscribe to the feudalist society, such an interesting battle, right? You look at Catelyn, who's done nothing but be loyal to her father, to her house, to her family name, to advancing them, you know, Southern ambitions. Uh, You look at Lady Dustin, who did everything that was asked of her. She put aside 
her young love with Brandon after he was betrothed someone like Catelyn Stark. And she, you know, was always waiting in the wings, did what her father said. She married Lord Dustin. She did everything that was asked of her. And then she was just shit on. Lord Dustin rode off in the war with Ned Stark. Uh, and she she was left with nothing after he died. All she had was their houses to uphold. And Jane Poole is someone... Not the not worst. Not the worst. No, Lady Dustin. So that's probably what bugs me the most is like... Yes, your husband died and it sucks. But Jane didn't even have that kind of autonomy. She didn't even get to, you know, lead a house. She doesn't get to be a human. She was just sold off literally like a broadmare. Cersei complains about being sold off like a broadmare, which sure, she gets sold a tiny bit, but nothing compared to what Jane. Jane was sold off like a broadmare, but not even sold. She was just given. Her life didn't mean enough. To be sold. You know, there's no gold, no silver, no bronze that could mean anything about her. So, but Lady Dustin does have that mirror of, you know, that whole supporting the Starks and living and breathing and dying for the Starks and supporting your liege lord and being loyal to them. But for what? For this? To have your husband killed? To lose your love? To not be able to have anything that you wanted? Yeah, but at the same time, it's Lady Dustin, in a way, got off the easiest Yes, out of all of them. Because, like, Theon and Jane, they were so close to the Stark family. They were right there, and they could taste being Starks. And there's a lot of weird classics that are wrapped up in there, which, of course, plays into Lady Dustin's desire to be a Stark, but inability to become so. Like, for Theon... He was raised alongside them, and the fact that he could never be a Stark means that he doesn't get the safety of family that's afforded to the rest of the Starks, because, and that's part of why he always felt that coldness from Ned. He knew that he was never truly safe thinking of Ned as as his father, and he had that one Stark that he felt close to, who was as close to him as family. For him, it was Rob, and then he had that other Stark that he had to try and, I think, distance himself from and shove aside in a way to try and get into the family and for him that was John. He was like, John's just a bastard. And so he would sort of, I think, dismiss him. And for Jane, it's she wanted to be Sansa's sister so badly and to become a Stark. And she gets that wish by becoming the sister that she made fun of. Arya mm-hmm. Horseface. She's like, I gave her that name. And And then she gets to live that hell. Exactly. And in wanting to become a Stark, it, it's like they're being punished for not being who they are in like a literary sense, even though obviously that's not really what's, what they're being punished for. They're not being punished for anything, right? They didn't do anything that warranted what's happening to them. Whereas Lady Dustin, you know, she doesn't get to become a Stark because she's too lowborn. Same as Jane, you know, who aspires to at one point marry uh, Beric Dondarrion and Dustin because of Southern ambitions, which we're going to get into in a second a little bit. I don't know, people have discussed it in depth. Would never be the kind of vassal that the Starks could look at when Rickard Stark is making plays. Yeah, absolutely. Southern ambitions comes into this majorly. That idea, uh, Stefan Sasse talked about it in his essays on it, that these houses, Hoster, Tully, you know, John Aaron, Rickard Stark, they all were in war together in the War of the Nine Penny Kings, and 
they grew up kind of in that era together as men and they had families or, you know, wanted to marry into each other's houses and create stronger alliances. And of course that all feeds into that whole idea of Ares being a mad king and them wanting him to be off of the throne, which many people have written theories off of. Uh, it's just such a stepping stone in a song of ice and fire in our community. So lady Dustin doesn't get to be a Stark. Brandon gets betrothed to Catelyn Tully, as we know, to strengthen that Riverlands and Northern Alliance. Uh, and then, of course, John Aaron mar- gets married to Liza. It ends up being a double ceremony, but Brandon dies first. So Ned takes that place. So Lady Dustin gets ultimately rejected. She thought she was special. She thought she was different, but not in the Game of Thrones. Alliances and big political marriages come first, and she was not a big political marriage. There was no reason to make House Riswell swear to the North again. You know, uh, not right now, not at all. And maybe Benjen would have been that guy. A lot of people are like, oh, you know, the second son or the third son goes to the Night's Watch. Maybe Ned would have been that guy. You know, uh, one of the children probably would have been used to make a political allegiance with the North, one to make a bigger allegiance you know an ally with the south or with another house in general and then of course benjamin could take the black or he could marry someone i think his taking the black came from more of the information knowing stance but i mean i could see rickard having had bigger plans for also benjamin right because he's having ned so a brandon of course is betrothed yeah. to catelyn tully and is out there doing you know firstborn son things like in terms of following his father, learning to be a lord. But Ned is out there being fostered with another mm-hmm. Lord Paramount. Like, he's a ward there. And, like, Benjamin was just really young at that point, but he's going around with them to other areas of the Seven Kingdoms. Like, he's coming down to the Riverlands. They're not just leaving him at home. So Yeah, they're grooming him. They're grooming him to be, you know, the third son. I don't think he was being groomed to go to the Night's Watch, in my opinion. I agree. However, I do think it's interesting that, you know, they speak about how a man from the Night's Watch came to the tourney at Harrenhal, and this is obviously so off-topic, but they speak about how, you know, a man from the Night's Watch came and begged at the tourney for people to join, and Benjen ends up joining. And, of course, this is the tourney where everything happened with Lyanna originally. This is where it all began, where Rhaegar offered her the wreath of blue roses, which gives me no emotion, and that's Benjen's option, and he takes it from that night where, you know, the Night's Watch man came to say, you know, come to the Night's Watch, we need your help. So that was his one place where he knew he could erase everything. Anyways. Lady Dustin. <laughs> Lord Dustin and I had not been married half a year when Robert rose and Ned Stark called his banners. I begged my husband not to go. He had kin he might have sent instead. An uncle famed for his prowess with an axe, a great uncle who had fought in the War of the Nine Penny Kings, but he was a man and full of pride. Nothing would serve but that he lead the Barrowton levies himself. I gave him a horse the day he set out, a red stallion with a fiery mane, the pride of my lord father's herds. My lord swore he would ride him home when the war was done. Ned Stark returned the horse to me on his way back home to Winterfell. He told me my lord had died an honorable death, that his body had been laid to rest behind, beneath the red mountains of Dorne. He brought his sister's bones back north, though, and there she rests. But I pr- 
promise you, Lord Eddard's bones will never rest beside hers. I mean to feed them to my dogs. <laughs> Dion did not understand his his bones. Her lips twisted. It was an ugly smile. A smile that reminded him of Ramsay's. Catelyn totally dispatched Lord Eddard's bones north before the Red Wedding, but your iron uncle sees Moat Caitlin and closed the way. I have been watching ever since. Should those bones ever emerge from the swamps, they will get no farther than Barrowton. She threw one last lingering look at the likeness of Eddard Stark. We are done here. That's an interesting passage, like, on its own to look at all that and her... Like, her glare at Eddard Stark. Like, her real, like, okay, her real problem, as we just discussed, is that she doesn't get to bone Brandon forever, and she thought she was going to marry him. And then it becomes Eddard Stark is the reason her husband's dead. The Starks suck! I mean, no. I mean, okay, I'm just going to throw this out there. If she really didn't want her husband to go to war, what she should have done was steal his conscription papers and left a hair comb and taken his place in the war. Are you talking about Mulan so that they again? Would survive? Yes. Okay. I'm just saying again. <laughs> that if that's what Lady Dustin wanted, if she really cared, she would have made that's it. That's what happen. she should have done. Yes. Yes. <sighs> So, Eddard's bones are stuck up before Moat Caitlin. What about it? What about it, Chloe? What about well, it? Well, Eliana, I'm really glad you asked. After I asked <laughs> loudly and then you repeated what I said. Uh, I'm your mirror. <laughs> oh, that reminds me of a song. It's one of my are favorite songs. Are you Jane Paul? Am I Jane Paul? I'll be your mirror. Never mind. Um, they're stuck in the Kranigs. They're in the neck. So I think we're gonna see these bones in the neck. I think uh I think there's gonna be this like the hero goes south to learn his parentage kind of thing. I think he's gonna go John is probably gonna end up in the neck. And like most people will be like, no, Bran's gonna go there first because Amira. I think John is gonna end up, this is my personal take here, in the neck. He's gonna go to Greywater Watch to retrieve Ned's bones, bring it back for a stark funeral but also learned about his parentage from the only people that knew his parents and knew them well. Howland Reed and Howland Reed's wife. Tell me about Howland Reed's wife, Chloe. She has purple eyes. Oh, does she? She's real slender and she's tall. And... Anyways, so as they leave, Lady Dustin warns Theon not to repeat anything that was disclosed in the crypts. Hold my tongue or lose it. Bruce has trained you well. Oh my god. What? Okay, I, I'm sorry. I, I just still can't. I'm just like, ha, is no one paying attention here? Like, Bruce isn't the one who, like, traumatized Theon to this point. Like, it was Ramsay, obviously, who makes him feel like he's going to lose body parts. Yeah, I don't. Like, what does no one understand about torture? In what here? isn't she? Get? Neither of them. Like they think this is just like he's fine with it. You know, like that's what's so weird to me. Um, it's just normal. Like I don't know. I think she doesn't understand a lot. Honestly, it's there's lots to say about Lord Dustin and why she hates everybody here. And while she's right to be bitter that she lost her husband to Ned's cause. Come on, dude, that's what being a loyal lord with status is in this society, right? Like, Lord Dustin was in upper management. 
he reports to the North's VP. I think in terms of like what I do at my job, he's a plant manager, right? At the same time, though, she also thinks that during the war, like, her husband died while Ned was out fucking and having bastards, just like his brother would have done. Right? Like, that's yeah. also another thought. Like, those awful, good-for-nothing Stark men. Fuck them, am I right? Yeah. Yeah, That that is what she's thinking, especially, yeah, because Ned comes home with a bastard. Yeah, a very Stark-looking bastard. Yeah, I mean, like, on one hand, I get it, Ned could have brought his bones home. He could have, but he was also, like, super traumatized and no one understands that part because he's, like, keeping this huge secret. But I get it, you know, he could have brought the bones home. He could have tried harder, I guess. But Like, how hard could it have been? That just brings us back to that discussion of the Cairns and how, like, he and Howland all alone shoveled up those cairns with a crying baby on their hips, shoveled up all those cairns and like created them, put them in, you know, like he like buried all these men. There's just also this idea. I I just think it's one of those things where he was so traumatized or whatever that this was like his way of, I don't know, dealing. Very shadow moon, very dunk. Yeah. Dig a bunch of like, do this mindless task while I'm dealing with crying in the rain. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> pretty much but in the desert and i that's what i think of it there might be something else going on there and it, it seems like there are hints at that but that's how it feels to me as well as like i think it's those different ideas of honor like you were saying that you know this is his uh lord dustin's duty mm-hmm. but at the same time like as we see with titos lannister people don't respect him for not having gone to war in the war of the nine penny kings and things like that and like Maybe Ned sees being buried here at this, like, really terrible, awful battle or fight as honoring them correctly, whereas it's a different value system for Lady Dustin, who sees having her husband's bones brought back is a way of honoring him, for him to and his family. Right, for him to be home. Yeah. Yeah. And there's that whole idea of, like, that thwarted by the Starks kind of mentality, right? Uh, we see mm-hmm. it in Littlefinger. Yeah, she kind of, it's, in ways, like, I am, like, I do think of Littlefinger. I'm just like, Lady Dustin, let it go. Like, they're all dead. Move on. All right? There are other people in the world. There are ghosts in Winterfell, and they're not one of them. Yeah. <laughs> all right? And they're, like, the living here. Let the ghosts go. Let the dead Men's die. lives have meaning. Other deaths. Oh. Oh, is that a theme in the story I just heard? Is it? I don't know. I think the Jane mirror you spoke on is super strong. I think it leads to Theon, which makes it the strongest of mirrors in this whole arc and identity Mm -hmm. kind of thematics. Uh, Barbary's bitterness coming from supporting the Starks and giving them everything, right? Like as a young, highborn woman, as a wife to a northern lord, as someone forced to play the game and burnt after playing it. I think that really... Shows a lot. Jane went to the capital with Sansa and she was supposed to be her handmaiden, right? I mean, she was supposed to be her lady-in-waiting, her right-hand woman, and she got burnt in everything that happened. And there's a lot of this contrast to Catelyn. Catelyn got burnt, but she made the best of it. She tried to get vengeance in the end when she was, you know, uh, cold and hurt and Ned's dead and nothing else to lose. And Barbary is just bubbling with all of that resentment right inside of her. 
There's no real move to make, but she prefers to keep her current status and she doesn't want to end up like Donella Hornwood. Absolutely. And the fact that she doesn't make a real move, right, to become a Stark, maybe that's why she doesn't end up like Lady Donella Hornwood. But, you know, things can change because apparently now she doesn't want to be a Stark. She clearly envies them. And again, there's that weird thing going on with like class like of course they get to be like the coolest and bestest people because they're like the lords and have like the best stuff and they're still a part of that system the coolest people exactly they're at the top of the totem pole and people envy them and love them and it's it's all mixed up and weird and i don't know maybe she'll do something maybe not i'm waiting for the payoff for lady barbary dustin because otherwise she's just like bitter drunk aunt and i'm like what do you what are you not getting about this situation yeah i just don't understand uh i i really am interested to see what happens let us know your hot takes on what lady barbie is doing because it could be anything at this point you know maybe just knitting yeah yeah and i mean i i thought she seemed a little more of course um interesting and badass like on first reads but now like i'm just like barbary dustin he's clearly tortured i think she's a woman that's just consumed by her bitter hatred you know i mean she's had so much time to just soak it in and been so alone it's interesting to see how she acts i i'm interested to see what happens in the winds of winter with her it's one to look out for and i'm curious to see what when we'll even see it you know in a davos chapter in a what payoff are we going to get? Theon's moving out of there, so... A John chapter? It would be interesting Ooh. if it were Davos or, yeah, or John, because we have it in... Barbara Dustin is very much symptomatic of something we're seeing in a lot of the other older characters in A Song of Ice and Fire. Like you said, she's just been marinating in her bitterness, whereas you have, like, Doran also doing a similar thing, marinating in his desire for vengeance somehow. So... Wins. Man. Well, we have a crazy episode next week. This was a fucking episode and a half, oh, but yeah. we have an episode next week. We are gonna be doing the ghost in Winterfell. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for that. We are. Yeah, as you can all see, we are taking it slow and easy with these reek chapters. They all are a lot. Yeah, very Blackwater-esque. We're really glad you guys have stuck it out because these have been rough on us. We're emotionally exhausted. We're like, how do we handle this (laughs) but next week we have a guest that's going to help us smooth through it all uh we are going to have poor quentin on once more it's been a while since we've had him on Mm -hmm. really excited to have him back welcome him back on the podcast we will be doing the ghost in winterfell in a dance with dragons we're getting very near the end of theon so really excited and we will be having a patreon episode for theon this month in the winds of winter and we're very excited to talk about next month soon. So let's get to that. Yes. And I'm so excited to have poor Quentin on. You know, we're going to have five hosts on this episode. We're going to have you, me, Alisan, Quentin, Jaharis, and it's going to be a full house. The cats. If you guys the don't cats. know, I have two cats. Uh, we post about them on Twitter sometimes. Alisan is one of the kittens. She is eight months old. She's our producer executive producer she okays anything we post so if you see it posted on twitter on our Podbean, on patreon alisan hit the button with her little paws so yes 
She's also the one who hits the button over on Spotify, on Acast, on Stitcher. And, of course, if you ever want to get in touch with us, Alisanne will be moderating messages with her little kittenly paws at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com or on Twitter if you hit us a direct message there. Yep. And um, alongside Alisanne, she's got her assistant who comes in and out. He's not the most dependable of executive producers, Jaharis. He's part-time. And he's not really. He's part-time. He's part-time. He's but we've given him a big job, you know? He's there running our Patreon over on patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon. Yeah, he is still in the process of uploading our notes from chapters. Hey, if you pay $1 or more to us on Patreon, you will get a lot of $1 posts and up. You'll also get, you know, some chapter notes, which, like we said, Jaharis is so behind on, but he's working on it. You know, we told him either pay up or recalling the temp agency, so. Jaharis, you know, we understand you're young. Yep, he's just come. You're of age now, all right? You can take that throne. Are you guys worried that we're just, like, giving away our advertising and regular campaigns to our cats? God. As always, you guys, this has been a blast. Thank you for putting up with us and my cats uh, that aren't even really here. They're doing shit. They're eating. One of them's eating. I don't know. I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. You can find me on the internet as Lies and Arbor on Twitter, Tumblr, and liesandarborgold.com. And I, of course, have been another one of your hosts, Eliana, also known as Glass Table Girl. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. <laughs>